Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Today I want to talk about gender and sexuality in the 21st century. Who you are and to whom are you attracted? And I want to talk about the confusion that some folks are experiencing. You know, when I was in high school, terms like gender fluidity and pansexual and transgender and gender bending and non-binary weren't even known by the average student. Today, though, this, these words are part of most high schoolers' vocabulary. As a senior in high school, I watched the 1976 Olympics in Montreal as Bruce Jenner won the gold medal in the decathlon. In 2015, I watched our society applaud Jenner's claim to be a woman. It was shocking how radical our culture's views on gender changed in just one generation. We've all witnessed American culture's wholesale acceptance of homosexuality. For centuries, the Bible's view on this issue reigned supreme. Leviticus 18, verse 22, says it clearest. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And yet today, what has always been viewed as sinful has been mainstreamed. It was astonishing that on June the 26, 2015, the night the Supreme Court's decision legalizing same-sex marriage came down to see the White House, the very seat of American democracy decorated in the colors of the LGBTQ rainbow. I'm just saying our world's attitude towards sexuality and gender has changed overnight. And yet, have we thought through the ramifications of these changes? What kind of society are we creating today? For thousands of folks, the confusion is taking its toll. Today, LGBTQ youth are far more likely to experience depression and anxiety than their straight peers. They're four times more likely to commit suicide. More than 60% of young people claiming to be transgender have seriously contemplated suicide in the past year. One in five have actually tried to end their life. The most commonly suggested solution for curbing the suicide rate among LGBTQ youth is for society to become more accepting. And yet over the last five years, as the culture has grown more tolerant, the problem continues to increase. Gender confusion is extracting a steep toll. The popular belief, if we're more tolerant, the heartache will diminish, is not happening today. Let me emphasize, God loves all people. He loves LGBTQ people, and so should we. But the statistics show that society's embrace of a lifestyle doesn't guarantee the ultimate well-being of the person adopting that lifestyle. What if our Creator has ideas about gender and sexuality that we've ignored or even denied? Rather than follow our feelings or choose our own destiny, what if the real solution is in getting in step with the God who created us and His plans 
for gender and sexuality. The truth is, gender matters because it matters to God. And what I want to do this morning is to show you why. I want to begin here in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Realize that God created the heavens and the earth, and His creation was accomplished by specific acts over six distinct days. I want you to notice each step of God's creation was marked by separation. See, rather than a uniform world of boring sameness, God's creation was full of variety. At each turn, God drew clear distinctions. In fact, Genesis begins when God divides. He divides the light from the darkness. The first strike of creation is to separate. Next, God divides the waters from under the atmosphere from the waters above the atmosphere. Afterwards, God gathers up the seas and separates them from the dry land. He then creates plant life that reproduces and multiplies after its own particular kind. On day four, God again separates, this time the day from the night. He sets the earth in its orbit, establishes a sunrise and a sunset. He distinguishes a daytime from a nighttime. Genesis then tells us that God fills the sea until it teems with life. But each species of fish multiplies after its own unique brand. God also creates birds and beasts, yet again, within very exact biological boundaries. Each order, or genus, or family is narrowly specific, and every living thing produces and reproduces after its own kind. In fact, the terms species and specific are from the same root word. Obviously, God places a high priority on maintaining distinctions within His creation. And understand, God Himself, His very nature, is an example of oneness, but with a distinct separation. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 was the Hebrew call to worship. The great Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word translated one there in Deuteronomy is the word ekad. It speaks of a compound unity. My fist is an ekad. It's one fist, but it's made up of five distinct fingers. And this is the type of oneness that we find in God. He is one God. But the one God exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians refer to this truth as the triune nature of God, or as the Trinity. All three members of the Godhead are equal in substance and in importance, but they are distinct in the role that they play. The Father sits on its throne in heaven as sovereign over creation. The Son comes to earth to become a man, to redeem, and to save you and me. The Spirit takes up where Jesus leaves off. He points people to the Son. The Holy Spirit lives within the believing heart to impart to us God's power. The fact the Son submits to the Father and the Spirit promotes the Son doesn't make the Son inferior to the Father or the Spirit less divine than the Son. All three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, are equal in nature, but distinct in their roles. 
Well, back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God reaches the apex of His creation. It's cap and crown. He creates man. But again, His work comes with a significant distinction. We're told in Genesis 1 verse 27, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them. God separates mankind into two genders. Not just one gender, and not more than two. But He creates man with specific genders, male and female. This is our genetic reality. All human females have two chromosomes, while all males have an X and a Y chromosome. Follow the science. God programs and assigns people their gender before they're born. And gender is not only a biological truth, it also has spiritual overtones. For gender mirrors the Trinity. As God is a compound unity, so is humanity. The distinctions of male and female reflect God's image. The unity of our humanity blended with the diversity of our gender is one way that humans are made in the image of God. Once there were two pastors who lived next door to each other. One of the men, he pastored the local Baptist church, while the other fellow, he pastored the local Methodist church. Well, these two families, they had five-year-old children. These two kids were best of friends. One of the children was a little boy and the other child was a little girl. And every Sunday morning, the two kids, they would wave to each other as they drove off to their respective churches. But on Sunday afternoon, they would gather again in the front yard to play with each other. One blistering hot day, the kids were playing out in the sprinkler. Well, their clothes got wet. So they decided to take off their clothes and lay them up on the hood of the car so they could dry. Of course, these two children, they were innocent, just five years old. But when the little boy saw the little girl without her clothes, he just stood there, sort of scratching his head. Later, he told his dad, Wow, Dad, I didn't know there was so much difference between Baptists and Methodists. (laughs) Of course, Baptists and Methodists are alike in a major way. They're both Christians. Nevertheless, they have their subtle differences. And the same is true with males and females. We are alike because we are both human beings and we are made in God's image. But God would never want us to overlook our distinctiveness. When God created us, He did so male and female. He designed men to be men and women to be women. Men and women are equal in terms of status and favor. Both reflect God's image and glory. But equal does not mean same. God made us with distinction. Again, here's my point. Gender matters to God. He not only designed male and female, but He assigns to each gender the specific role that they're to play in the home and in the church. The biblical blueprint for gender not only nurtures and orders a society, but most importantly, it speaks to us vital truths about God's very nature. 
Realize the Christian God stands apart from His creation. And He works within it to divide and to order life. Whereas pagan or non-Christian religion says that if there is a God, that God is part of His creation. That God and nature are in essence one. That everything, all of life, is just one. Today's paganism teaches that all is in God and God is in all. Don't look for God outside of yourself. Look for the God within. This is what we hear all the time. Oneness is now today's popular religion. And this insistence on oneness extends even to gender. You see, this is why our secular world is unisex and gender neutral. The anti-God world in which we live denies any distinctions within nature, even when it comes to gender. Supposedly, we're all just one. And this is the driving force behind the LGBTQ movement and its demand for same-sex marriage. Homosexuality glorifies oneness. It erases the boundaries and the distinctions God created between male and female. Same-sex is unity without diversity. It's oneness run amok, and it is a direct assault on God's order. And here's where all this leads. Imagine a high school where all students, male and female alike, have the right to use the girls' restroom and locker room. Gender identity and thus access to the restroom is based solely on the student's feelings regardless of their biological body parts. The belief is, since we're all one, let's have equal rights to the same facilities. Imagine a school that insists on students wearing uniforms, but can't ensure that only the girls wear skirts. Schools that eliminate single-gender sports and clubs and activities. Schools where genetically stronger males now feel feminine and are allowed to dominate girls' sports and negate the girls' years of training. Schools that stop using gendered language like mother, father, him, her, Mr., Mrs., and instead use non-gendered language like caregivers for parents and partners for husband and wife. Imagine a school where the feelings of a 13-year-old boy who thinks he's a girl, are more important than the privacy rights of the teenage girls who don't want to change clothes with him standing there in their locker room. Well, today you don't have to do much imagining. This describes public high schools all over Canada, and now grow, it's the growing trend in the United States. In fact, those of you that attended public high school, you know this better than I do. School administrators are being forced today to accept the absurd notion that natural, biological, and psychological differences between men and women are irrelevant. Sadly, today the world's media is driving hormonally vulnerable teenagers and even pre-puberty children to ignore their biological structure and makeup the way their Creator built them and follow their fickle feelings. Tragically, self-identification now trumps biological reality. We're living in a world gone mad. There are radicals today that are trying to put an end to gender and deny the obvious way that God created us. Here's what society is being told. 
Masculinity and femininity are just inventions of the establishment. Male and female are just ways to engineer society and keep people in their place. You know, hold them back from who they really are. Humans think in terms of male and female only because they've been conditioned to do so. It's the result of our nurturing and our educating. But that is simply not true. The Bible teaches us that gender isn't just some social fabrication. It's not fluid. It's not just based on our feelings at the moment. God made us male and female. And He has a plan for the sexes. And He expects us to embrace our gender, the gender that He has given us. And not only does the Bible teach this truth, I could point to hundreds of scientific studies that document the biological differences between men and women. Famed Harvard zoologist E.O. Wilson writes, Much of what we ascribe to men and women as socially constructed roles are deeply embedded in our genes. It's true. Gender and its God-assigned roles are entrenched in the very makeup of human beings. Masculinity and femininity result from creation, not just culture. Sameness was never God's plan. The Creator is infinitely creative. The true God is separate from His creation. And He works within nature to divide and to specify and to establish roles. And this shows up in gender. God made us distinctly male and female, not to be the same, not to compete with each other or to cancel out each other, but to complement one another. This is why marriage between a man and a woman honors the distinctiveness found in God's creation and in His very nature. It's true, gender matters to God. God made men to be men, and He made women to be women. And this is why He doesn't want males acting like females and females acting like males. God wants all of us to honor and preserve the distinctions that He has created. This was the issue that Paul was dealing with in his letter to the Corinthians. You know, the Christian men and women in Corinth were throwing off gender distinctions that were important in their culture, and it was creating confusion. And Paul takes them back to Genesis and creation to explain the roles that God created for male and female. If you read through 1 Corinthians 11, you'll see the problem. Christian women were no longer wearing their headscarves, which was a sign of submission in their culture. And it was sending the wrong message to their city. Now, in first century Corinth, a scarf on a woman's head meant that she was under the authority of her father or her husband. Christian women wanted to be under the proper authority, but they were enjoying this new freedom in Christ, and they felt inclined to throw off their scarves. Paul says no. He agreed the scarf itself was insignificant, but what it represented to the culture at large was vital. He didn't want them sending a confusing message. Obviously, in America today, a woman's scarf has nothing to do with her being under biblical authority. A woman with a scarf may just be styling. 
Or she might have had a bad hair day and just wanted to put a scarf on instead of style her hair. But there are other forms of clothing that do characterize a person's attitude to God and to gender and to the people around us. And Paul's point is that all Christian guys and gals should dress and groom in ways that express the right attitude, lest they also send the wrong message. In other words, boys should look and act and think and dress and talk like men, while girls should look and act and think and dress and talk like women. There is a fad today that I hope has hit its peak. I'm sure this is going to sound strange to most of you. Men's hosiery. Pantyhose for men. Here come the men in tights. <laughs> There's actually a website. You can look it up. Probably not here because you don't have sales service. But legwearformen.com. Legwearformen.com. It advertises an assortment of male hosiery, control top tights, and footless tights, and opaque tights. I'm just reading off the website. And sheer tights, and support tights, and winter tights. Some of, you even, some of us might appreciate winter tights. <laughs> the website explains, It has nothing to do with gender confusion. The bulk of our wearers are straight men. Men have worn tights for centuries. The Romans gave their soldiers leggings to wear some 2,000 years ago. <laughs> well, that may be true. Good for the Romans. <laughs> if really old Romans want to wear pantyhose, that's up to them. But not me, buddy. <laughs> I believe there are masculine garments and that there are feminine garments. In fact, here's the thought behind 1 Corinthians 11. Men need to dress like men, and women should dress like women. For as we've noted, gender matters to God. You know, before the days of Super Bowl quarterbacks like Matt Stafford and Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, there was Joe Namath. He was my favorite. In Super Bowl III, Joe predicted his Jets would upset the favored Colts. And guess what? They did. And after the Super Bowl, Joe did the unthinkable. I couldn't believe it when he did it. This macho NFL hero, he did an ad where he posed in a pair of pantyhose. Over his career, Namath had undergone multiple surgeries on his knees. He was the most unlikely candidate you could imagine to be posing in a pair of pantyhose. In fact, here was his punchline. I don't wear pantyhose. But if sheer pantyhose makes my legs look good, think of what they'll do for yours. <laughs> the basic idea, though, was that men don't wear pantyhose. Now, obviously, society and fashion and style and culture somewhat dictate what constitutes a masculine article of clothing and a feminine article of clothing. As a matter of fact, let's see if I can find it. In Scotland, a kilt, yeah, a kilt is a traditional male garment. Everybody see that? Let me tell you, though. <laughs> On the streets of Stone Mountain, Georgia, 
that's a frilly skirt. <laughs> My only hope is at least he's carried his shotgun. You see that, Jose? <laughs> if I lived in Scotland, I might wear a kilt. But I live in the South. And here, a kilt or pantyhose just ain't manly. This is why I say fight the tights. Just say no siree to hosiery. <laughs> if we could label anything feminine, it ought to be pantyhose. If you're a guy and you're wearing pantyhose this morning, I'm not condemning you. <laughs> but please, just don't tell anybody, okay? No, when God, when God created us, He did so male and female. He created us along specific lines with distinction. And we need to honor the distinctions that God has made. This is why boys should dress and look like men, and girls should dress and look like women. Societal notions of masculinity and femininity may change from culture to culture and from age to age, but whatever my culture and my era deems as manly clothes, I should wear them. And what it deems as girly, I shouldn't wear them. Several years ago, Jaden Smith, the son of the actor Will Smith, he made the statement, I don't see men's clothes and women's clothes. And though Jaden is a straight guy, he wore women's skirts and carried handbags. In fact, Jaden and his date went to their high school prom wearing skirts. And like the women in Corinth, Jaden's gender bending made a statement about male and female. He was saying to young people that whatever they want to be is fine. It's your choice. And I'm saying it's not your choice. It's God's choice. For God made us male and female. Sadly, people today don't recognize the bigger picture. They don't realize that we humans are more than our fluid and fickle feelings. God in heaven has created us, and He created us with a plan and purpose in mind. I believe many young adults today are suffering a major identity crisis. The big question they're asking is, who am I? Today, people are searching for an identity this partially explains our society's preoccupation with categories like race and gender and nationalism and body shape and sexual orientation and causes like global warming. I mean, in today's world, folks are trying to figure out who they are and where they fit in. And technology has given young people a way to try on a different identity every week. I mean, there are people today who play internet games and visit chat rooms where they can assume a different persona and spend hours on their uh, about hours portraying their online self in a virtual world. I mean, some folks don't like who they actually are. They can escape the hard reality of their life by adopting a different identity. As the Bible teaches, we are made in God's image. And we are all lost until we find our way home to Him. And people today are definitely confused over their sexuality. You know, a few bouts of rejection by the opposite sex, or maybe a warm, unexpected feeling towards a person of the same sex, 
can get blown out of proportion and can confuse who people think they are. They start to wonder, is there something wrong with me? Could I be gay? Could I be bi? Today we're seeing more and more females who feel and think they might be males. And more and more males who feel and think they could be females. And the media's infatuation with these issues causes many young people to further question who they are. If you battle these feelings, please recall your foundation. God created you. And He did so with definite distinction. If you're a male, embrace your reality and learn to be the man that God desires you to be. If you're a female, embrace your reality and learn to be the woman God intends for you to be. Realize it's sin that confuses and distorts. See, sin has a twisting effect. All humans are contorted in some way. We are all born out of shape. No one is all that God intended for him or her to be. The Bible says that the first man, Adam, was made in the image and likeness of God. And yet sin marred that image. Adam rebelled against God. His sin tossed a wrench into the gears of creation. God's masterpiece was no longer perfect. Sin subjected the creation to hardship and to randomness. Do you realize how far we fail? I mean, after Adam's blunder, randomness invaded God's orderly universe. It touched all of creation. Before the fall, weather patterns were calm. But afterwards, winds pumped moisture and fronts collided and storms erupted. Without sin, the lamb lied down with the wolf. Since sin, wolves and lambs are no longer sociable. In a world without sin, all God's creation stayed alive and vibrant and healthy. Colors didn't fade. Materials never rotted. Skin never sagged. Eyes never dimmed. Bodies never weakened or got sick. It was man's sin that brought disease and decay and deterioration into our world. Before Adam's sin, genetics worked like clockwork. But afterwards, damaged genes caused defects. We're now born with deformities that make our lives more difficult. And every human who has come after Adam is affected by his actions. The theologians call this original sin. Because one man sinned, now all men are sinners. And it's not just theologians who believe this, believe in inherited sin. Recently, I heard shock jock Howard Stern, of all people, he made this comment, You're warped, I'm warped, we're all warped. That's original sin in a nutshell, right there. We're all born warped. We're all born twisted in some manner. This means that you can say you were born a specific way. A homosexual, an alcoholic, violent, prone to this or that. And though I would disagree with you, I don't even need to argue the point. For understand, what we're born is not necessarily a good thing. We're all born a sinner. And that's a very bad thing. And the results of sin are always negative, not positive. We're all born twisted and warped in some fashion. 
That's why it's only when we are born again that we discover who God meant for us to be and His will for our lives. Jesus told us that we can be born of His Spirit. This is our hope. Did you know the Holy Spirit's like the cable man? God sends His Spirit into our hearts to connect us to His eternal life. And once we've been born again, that's when God comes into our lives and He starts to untwist us and untangle our identities. It can take some time, but He unravels our mess little by little until He straightens out our lives. Once a family had gone on an African safari, they were staying in a Kenyan hotel when they heard a knock on the door. The father went in, he opened the door, and there he saw an African man, a wonderful gentleman there, standing there before the door. He said that he had come to clean up the room. Well, the family was embarrassed. They had just arrived. Bags and clothes, wet towels were everywhere. The dad began to apologize. And that's when this young Kenyan said to him, No problem, sir. For this reason I have come, to put your things in order. And this is the reason Jesus came, to untwist our confusion and to put our lives back in proper order. Don't think God expects you to untwist and untangle your confusion on your own before He saves you. That's not how Christianity works. When we open our hearts to Jesus, He takes us as is. Then once we receive His Spirit, He begins to untangle and rearrange our identity. He starts straightening out our lives. We all struggle with sin of some sort. Just because a person battles with the same sex attraction doesn't mean they're going to hell. Jesus calls on us to trust in Him. He promises to help us overcome these temptations. Sometimes we think, oh, my life is so confused, so knotted up. There's no way I could ever be the type of person God desires. No, trust Jesus. Let Him figure things out. Read His Word. Act on what He says. He'll begin to untwist the knots if you run to Him and give Him your whole heart. I've talked to folks with homosexual tendencies who don't ever recall feeling the way they do. Sexual attraction forms very early in our life. For some folks, childhood traumas beyond their control twisted their psyche, causing them to think that they were born homosexual. But as I said earlier, just being born a certain way doesn't make it preferable. An alcoholic has a physical propensity toward alcoholism. He's born that way. Some psychologists believe there's a gene that triggers violent behavior. Even if both are true, it doesn't justify alcoholism and violence. We'd help both persons overcome their sin, and we'd hold them responsible if they gave in to it. Recently, I had a dad. He sent me an email about his homosexual son. He assumes that loving his son requires him to affirm his boy's lifestyle. But that's not true. I believe that there is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God's Spirit enables people to change. That an almighty God can help alter a person's sexual preferences and attractions. Thus, to me, it is a terribly unloving thing not to encourage a person to repent and turn from their sinful twistedness. 
We live in a day when people are exhorted to follow their heart at all costs. How often do you hear that? Well, I followed my heart. Their heart meaning their emotional center. Pursue your urges, pursue your desires is the cry. Suppose though a person is driving along a winding, twisting mountain road when suddenly the urge comes over them to swerve off the highway and drive over the guardrail and down the ravine to certain death. Is it a good idea to follow that urge? Of course not. It would be foolish and self-destructive to act on that impulse. Here's something I want you to remember. Not all urges come from God. Let me repeat that. It is an important point. Not all urges come from God. The person who always goes with their gut or their feelings or their heart can create lots of self-inflicted trouble for themselves. As Proverbs 14 verse 12 puts it, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. God gives us wisdom, not urges. He's given us His Word, not just our whims. Today, homosexual activists want to make it a crime to help a person change their sexual orientation. I'm afraid they're fighting against Jesus. For Jesus wants to unravel and untangle all of our twisted identities. Gender is God-given. Our Creator wants men to be masculine and women to be feminine. Sex is God-arranged. It's to be enjoyed in heterosexual marriage. If you're a Christian who struggles with gender confusion, or you've stumbled into homosexual sin, it doesn't mean that God is through with you. He loves you dearly. In Christ you are accepted by God. And being a child of God is the greatest identity to which any of us can aspire. Jesus is merciful. He wants to change your life. He wants to help you. In all of us, God seeks to untangle our twistedness. But we have to be willing. We need to see our behavior as God sees it. Whatever God calls sin, then that's what we have to assume sin to be. You can't call good evil and evil good and expect to inherit the kingdom of God. God created you male and female, and He can, he can supply you the appropriate attractions or restraint that you need to fulfill His will for your life and to live out His image in you. If you want to overcome, here's what has to occur. The reason our lives are twisted is because of our sin. The sin in which we were born, that's why the first step to get untangled is to be born again. Give your life to Jesus. Receive His Spirit. Let Him connect you to the life of God. He'll begin to work in your heart. He'll begin to reshape you into a new you. Let me answer the question one last time. Why does gender matter? Because it matters to God. Our Creator speaks to us through male and through female. It's part of being created in His image. God expects us to embrace how He's made us and with His help live accordingly. God never fails. We need to trust in Him.